But give me a few minutes to prepare us to come to the Lord's table by just thinking on what we read and adding a little bit more to it. Turn in your Bibles to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. We rightfully put the Lord Jesus Christ on a throne and we love to see Him on the white horse of Revelation 19. And that is where He is and He shall never be taken from it. However, when He was on earth, He was the man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Sorrow and grief that only faith will help you understand a little bit of. But let me read a few verses to you. Allow me to start at the 13th verse of the previous chapter. Brother Eric, when I shoved in a VCR tape of last Sunday's services, and you began with Isaiah 52, and I know there are 1,189 chapters in the Bible, I said, Lord of heaven, how did he know what two chapters I had just spent a great deal of time thinking about and meditating through? Isaiah 52 and 53. He told you last Lord's Day to awake, to put on your garments, to shake yourself and to rejoice and to break forth into joy and singing together from this chapter. Let me start at the 13th verse as it describes our Lord Jesus. Isaiah 52, verse 13. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. As many were astonished at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. The kings shall shut their mouths at him. For that which had not been told them shall they see. And that which they had not heard shall they consider. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant. And as a root... Out of a dry ground, he hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. I have preached phrase by phrase through Isaiah 53 before, and the outline is on the website, and you're welcome to consider it again. I have in a very feeble and fumbling way 
converted these 15 verses to common meter, and we have sung them before. And I have sung them again this week to the Lord. What I want you to see see right now is in the third verse, he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Do we have a song that we sing? And we love to sing it. And I hope you're getting warmed up for it. Because when we sing it in a few minutes, he better hear it. Man of sorrows. What a name. Hallelujah. What a Savior. But he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. You heard Brother Red read from Psalm 22. Brother Paul from Psalm 69 and Matthew from Matthew chapter 26. Where we saw the Lord Jesus Christ in great heaviness and great sorrow of heart. We want to think upon him that way. We love him as the blessed and only potentate. We love to preach him as the King of kings and Lord of lords. Because that's what he is. But while he was on earth, he was a man of sorrows. He had pain and grief, trouble and sorrow like you have never had. And we want to think upon that as we come to his table. What is grief? Grief is anguish, distress, hardship, pain, and trouble. Some of you that are young have never had anything grievous in your life, so you don't know grief yet. Those of you that are older have had things trouble you, cause distress and anguish, so that you can relate a little bit to grief. What is sorrow? It's distress or sadness caused by a disappointment, a loss, or suffering. I believe that with age, we learn more and more about what grief and sorrow is about because we see more and more of the disappointments, loss, and suffering that's involved in life. When we look upon Jesus as the man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, think of all the value that we can get from this. Please, follow with me. What he went through in his life and death should cause us to appreciate him and his salvation so much more. How his payment for our sins included much more than just physical pain and bodily death. Let me say something with all respect and reverence for our Lord Jesus Christ. Many men have suffered more physical pain for longer periods of time than our Lord on the cross. But no man has ever felt the weight of the combined pain and sorrow of bearing the sins of the elect, being forsaken by God, deserted by all of his friends, containing within himself the power of the word of God, and not calling upon it for deliverance, and the emotional stress of facing the devil and himself in a personal conflict for his soul. And physical death. He didn't say, my God, my God, these nails hurt so bad. We already know the nails hurt so bad. If you've forgotten, bring me a hammer and a nail and a piece of wood. I'll help you remember. But he didn't say that because that wasn't the greatest grief of the cross. The greatest grief of the cross was Psalm 22.1. He had never felt that before in his life. He had a closest relationship with God that any man has ever had. You've never had a relationship with God like he did. You could not even be forsaken like he was. 
Please think upon the man of sorrows and being acquainted with grief. What can we learn by thinking upon him as the man of sorrows? How his sorrow and suffering, in all of its respects, put a proper measure on the terribleness of sin. We just sang that in the third verse of that song, stricken, smitten, and afflicted. For those of you who wonder how bad sin is, then look upon the price that it took to pay for it. God's only begotten and beloved Son. We can learn how he trusted God's will, laid hold of promises by faith, and waited for a certain reward of eternity. Oh, it sounds like a good lesson for us all. We can learn how the perspective of eternity can give even the Lord of glory the resolve to go forward. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. We can learn what we should remember when we think that we are overwhelmed by our griefs and sorrows. We can learn what kind of a merciful high priest that he is able to be through the tasting of so much sorrow and grief during his life. He can be a great priest for us. And we can learn this. How much grief we can cause him by our foolish sins in light of his death for us. He is not the man of sorrows and acquainted with grief today as he was then. But the Bible does tell us that our sins grieve the Spirit of God. And the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. Galatians chapter 4. It's easy for us to overlook the non-physical aspects of the crucifixion. The physical aspects of the crucifixion are a long list in themselves. But he is here called the man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He carried so much sorrow and grief during his life of humiliation before he made it to the cross. Before he went to the cross. And we want to think upon that. Go back to Psalm 22 that our brother read just for a few minutes. Just for a few minutes, he took one of the verses that I wanted to mention, but in t- and I'm glad he did. It was verse 1. Surely we can understand that that must have been horrific for the Son of God who had such a relationship with his Father. I do always those things that please my Father. Jesus could say that. His Father said, this is my beloved Son. The two of them were one. I and my Father are one. There was no difference or difficulty, or division, or separation, or strained relationship between them. But here he was separated from his father. Jesus of Nazareth was born 2,014 years ago in this world, and he lived a life of sorrow and grief for us, then went to the cross. Verse 5 starts the cross in Isaiah 53. But we're at Psalm 22. Let me just briefly show you verse 6. Did you hear our brother read it? But I am a worm. And no man. I've been abused so much I don't look like a man. I don't get the respect of a man. I'm despised by friend and foe alike. I'm a worm and no man. A reproach of men and despised of the people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head, saying, He trusted on the Lord that He would deliver him. 
let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. That's sarcasm. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, the grief of being ridiculed by his enemies. Verses 12 and 13. Many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and roaring lion. He uses animal metaphors here to describe the crowd that encircled him and enclosed him. We're going to read the word enclosed in a minute. That circled him around and picked on him and ridiculed him and attacked him. Verses 16 through 18. For dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. He was surrounded by them. They pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones. They look and stare upon me. He was stark naked on the cross. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. Verses 20 and 21. Deliver my soul from the sword, my darling from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth, for thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorns. There were plurals used in verses 12, 13. There's plurals used in verses 16, 18. But when it comes to 20 and 21, it's a singular enemy. And I believe that is the devil himself that was out to destroy the Lord Jesus Christ. I've preached through Psalm 22 phrase by phrase before. We don't have time for that now. But the Lord Jesus Christ was a man of sorrows, fighting an enormous, terrible conflict at the soul level with the devil himself. And with enemies enclosing him round about, despising him and ridiculing him. Stripping him naked, the Son of God, the Lord of glory. Let me tell you something. If they had known that he was the Lord of glory, they wouldn't have touched him. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 tells me that. And there's a day coming, and that's why Brother Paul read a few extra verses that were God and the Lord Jesus Christ calling wrath down upon his enemies that persecuted him. You heard those horrific words? They're going to face, they've, they've already faced those words 2,000 years ago, but they're going to face them again when all the wicked meet the blessed and only potentate. But I hope that there is, your heart is full of pity. Your heart is full of compassion as you think upon the Lord Jesus Christ and all he suffered and there was none to comfort him because they all ran away. They couldn't stay awake for an hour. Do you have trouble staying awake in church? Do you have trouble staying awake when you read your Bible? Do you have trouble taking time to read your Bible? They couldn't stay awake for an hour. Can you remember that the next time you ought to read your Bible, but you're too tired? Can you think of that the next time you want to fall asleep in church? Because you can't stay awake for an hour. He was a man of sorrows. Look at Psalm 69. How do we know that this psalm is about the Lord Jesus Christ? Because verse 9 is fulfilled in John chapter 2. Is one of the evidences. Because verse 23 is quoted in Romans chapter 11. This is a messianic psalm that describes the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 7 it says, Because for thy sake I have borne reproach. Shame hath covered my face. They said John the Baptist had a devil, and Jesus was beside himself. 
His own friend said he was beside himself. Mark chapter 3 and verse 21. Verse 8 tells us, I am become a stranger unto my brethren and an alien unto my mother's children. We do not believe what Catholics and others teach us about cousins of Jesus. We believe these are his brothers and his sisters because they are his mother's children. They were strangers and aliens to him. And John chapter 7 tells us that the brothers and sisters of Jesus, at least six of which we know by name, did not believe on him until after his resurrection. His own family. They grew up with the Son of God. He never sinned. He always honored his parents. He never fornicated. He never swore. He never let filthiness or foolishness come out of his mouth. He was righteous and he was diligent. He was faithful and he was zealous. And they did not believe on him. In fact, in John chapter 7, they basically made fun of him and told him, if you really have a ministry, then why don't you go to Jerusalem with us? But he was in Galilee for a reason. Because his life was at risk in, in Jerusalem and it wasn't yet time for him to go there to die. Now, as soon as they left, he went on his own. You can read the whole thing in John chapter 7. I hope you already know the event. His own family were aliens to him. Look at verse 10. When I wept and chastened my soul with fasting, that was to my reproach. They reproached him and made fun of him when he was chastening his soul with fasting. I made sackcloth also my garment, and I became a proverb to them. They that sit in the gate speak against me, and I was the song of the drunkards. Jesus of Nazareth was ridiculed during his lifetime, though he knew he was the Son of God. And he had unlimited power at his disposal as the high king of heaven over all the host of heaven. He was the Lord of hosts in human flesh. He could have called the twelve legions of angels that have been mentioned already. And they could have come and delivered him, but he went to the cross for you and me. Look at verse 17. Hide not thy face far from thy servant, for I am in trouble. Hear me speedily. What other language do you need to know Jesus Christ as the man of sorrows and acquainted with grief? He prayed in verse 18, Draw nigh unto my soul and redeem it. Deliver me because of mine enemies. He was being mocked. If you're the Son of God, prove it to us and come down from the cross. Verse 19, Thou hast known my reproach and my shame and my dishonor. Mine adversaries are all before thee. Lord, you've seen every bit of what I've gone through as I've made my way toward the cross. But look at verse 20. Reproach hath broken my heart. What reproach do you want to think of? Hail, Master. As Judas betrayed him with a kiss. If he was his master, what in the world was he doing betraying him for 30 pieces of silver, the price of a slave? Reproach hath broken my heart. You think you've had a broken heart? Do you want to tell us about the terrible event that broke your heart? I know about grief equal to you. And I'm going to be honest and admit 
that my heart is not broken, that I do not know the level of grief and sorrow that Jesus Christ endured as the man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And I hope that you can look at Psalm 69 and verse 20 and know that the Lord of glory came to earth in human flesh to live a life of a broken heart before he went to the cross. His heart isn't broken anymore. His heart's glorified forever in heaven. And he's waiting to trample his enemies under his feet. Reproach hath broken my heart. And I am full of heaviness. His heart wasn't just heavy. He was full of it. Brother Matthew read to us, sorrowful even unto death. He was overwhelmed with what he was going to do for us. I looked for some to take pity, but there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. Peter and the two sons of Zebedee couldn't stay awake with them. All the disciples fled. He was left alone. One of the two that stood by at a fire denied with curses and oaths that they ever knew him. A man of sorrows. They gave me also gall for my meat and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. Brethren, his own parents couldn't remember what he was on earth for. At the age of 12, they came and said, Don't you know how much trouble you've caused us? And at 12, he had to say, Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? Mother, did you forget what Gabriel told you? Father, did you forget what you were told? A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. I have enough to go till three. If you will think through the Gospels and read them with understanding, you will know that he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. His friends, when they watched him minister and not look for a break, but to keep on ministering, they said he's beside himself. Never was a good man so hated by his own people. The Jews ridiculed him as a carpenter's son only. They called him a Samaritan. They said he was devil-possessed. They said he was a deceiver and a blasphemer. And the Bible tells us they were offended in him. There was no comeliness for their natural eyes and natural heart to lay hold of. Romans 15 and verse 3 tells us that the reproaches of God fell upon the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a great part of his sorrow and grief that he had. Luke would tell us in Luke's account of what Matthew read to us, that when in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was in such an agony. He was in such an agony for the sorrow and grief that was upon him that he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. You have never come close to anything like that. Your sweat cannot be compared to drops of blood. At his travesty of a trial, where were the thousands he had healed and fed? You would have thought that a crowd would have gathered with their birth certificates that they were born blind. With notarized evidence that they had been crippled for 30 years. With death certificates that they had died. 
with multiplied witnesses, and the law only required two, that he had fed 5,000 from a little boy's lunch, with spectators that he had cast out a legion of devils, with other spectators that he had calmed a storm at sea with his word. Where were they? He did so much in good to the people of Israel, and yet where were they at his trial? Where was Peter at his trial? Why did Judas do that to him after three and a half years? And you know what? We get surprised by sorrow and grief in our lives. Do you know how long Jesus knew about Judas? Every time they took the Passover together, every time they ate together, he knew all about Judas Iscariot. If you knew that a man had a devil and was going to betray you and was a liar and was stealing from the bag that they, men and women had given for the poor, what would you do? I'd reduce my friends by at least one. What would you do? He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He was sacrificed in order to free Barabbas. What a disgrace to the Son of God. He was deserted by a governor who knew he was innocent and by the Jews who were only envious. And on and on we could go. But go back to Isaiah 53. It doesn't end there. I love the Apostle Paul. And sometimes the way the Holy Spirit would inspire some of the things he wrote to us is beautiful. In, he, in Ephesians chapter 4, and I'm just going to hope that you remember it. In Ephesians chapter 4, he speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ being raised up on high. And in parentheses he says, He has ascended up on high. But that, that is because he ascended because he had to first descend into the lower parts of the earth. He was born like a wild ass's colt. I don't care how pure Mary was. The Bible tells us that human birth is not the prettiest thing in the world. He was born like a wild ass's colt. He lived under a carpenter. They didn't even have money for him to be born in a decent place. He was born in a stable, and he was laid in a feeding trough for cattle called a manger. And then he ascended back up again. But what I want to present to you is the Lord Jesus Christ descended. He descended in the Word all the way down to this verse 4. Was he overwhelmed by his own sorrows and griefs? It says in Isaiah 53, 4, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Where is this fulfilled? This half of verse 4 is fulfilled in Matthew chapter 8, verses 16 and 17. This is fulfilled in casting devils out of men, women, and children and healing their physical maladies. We are not to his atonement for our sins until we get to the fifth verse. Jesus himself and the Holy Spirit explains the first half of verse 4 in Matthew 8, 16, and 17 as bearing all the afflictions and infirmities, sorrows, troubles, diseases, devil possession of his people and casting those devils out and healing their diseases. Were there women that had been afflicted with issues of blood for many years? 
Had they been to doctors and were made no better, but had spent their whole living? And on and on we could go with a list. He delivered them all because he bore their infirmities and he bore their sorrows in addition to his own. When the Lord Jesus Christ, who set his face to go to Jerusalem to die, knowing what was going to happen to Peter, with Judas, with Pilate, knowing it all, on his way, he comes to a little town called Nain. When he enters into Nain, he sees a funeral procession that is carrying the last son of a widow woman. What does he do? He bore her sorrow and he carried her grief. He went over and touched her and said, Do not fear. Do not worry. Weep not. And then he went over and told the young man to get up off that funeral byre and stop bothering his mother that way. That's my Lord Jesus Christ. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, but he looked around to find yours and to find mine, and he said, I can carry them too. And he can still carry them today. The Bible says, Cast, casting all your cares upon him, for he careth for you. What a Savior. Amen. He wants us to remember him this way. If he made us pay 25% of our assets, could we, would we do it? Oh, I hope. I hope we'd give 30. I hope we'd give all. He doesn't ask for our firstborn. He wants this simple little service that we have. And he wants us to remember his death till he comes. He wants us to remember his death in all that the Bible tells us about it. And the Bible tells us more than just nails on a cross. It tells us he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. I want you to remember him and what he did while he was here on earth for you and me. He bore his own sorrows, his own griefs, and went willingly to the cross of Calvary. And he bore those of others as well. When he saw Mary and Martha so worked up about Lazarus dying, it moved him so much inside because their sorrow and their grief were a weight to him. But he took it. And then he raised them from the dead. Do you know how he did it? Hebrews chapter 5, verses 7 and 8 tells us that with strong crying, he was able to submit and become obedient to the death of the cross. Remember those verses? I remember where we were sitting when you learned them. Because he feared the Lord. This morning's session was for us to remind ourselves of how important it is for us to fear God. Jesus feared the Lord, and he was heard because of his fear. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. Not his fear of the cross, his fear of the Lord. He had some fear of the cross, but his fear of the Lord was far greater. And it overrode the other as it should with us. He encouraged himself in the will of God. Not as I will, but as thou wilt, as we had read to us. He encouraged himself in those he would save. Isaiah 53 and verse 10 says, He shall see his seed. He knew he was dying for you. Do you know what strengthened him? He shall see his seed. Behold, I and the children which God hath given me. He knew he was dying for you. That encouraged him. Can it encourage you to live for him who died for you? He encouraged himself in the coming reward, who for the joy that was set before him. He encouraged himself 
that there were pleasures forevermore at God's right hand, a few hours of sorrow and suffering here on earth would be made up for quickly with pleasures forevermore at God's right hand. Psalm 16 tells us that. You know how we should respond to thinking about him as a man of sorrow? We should set our affection on things above like he did. We should count the reward of the inheritance more than anything anyone could offer us here on earth. We should do everything heartily as unto the Lord like he did for his Father in heaven. We should make a reckoning that I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. Do you know that 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18-25 through 25 tells us that the way we treat our boss on the job should follow the example of Jesus Christ and how he behaved at his crucifixion. He didn't threaten, he didn't revile, and he submitted to wrongful treatment. 1 Peter 2, 18-25 connects it all together. And we should be able to take abuse from others as well. What he went through in his life leading up to his death should move us when we come to his supper. When we take the bread and we take the wine and we remember his death till he comes, we show his death till he comes. Over and over in the Gospels, in 1 Corinthians 11, we have these words. This do. Do this in remembrance of me. Will you remember me and what I did for you while I was on earth? And this is how I want it remembered. It's a simple service. Hardly anyone understands it. We Baptists, for making it metaphorical, that when he said, this is my body, is only a representation for his body, are scoffed at by Catholics and others who make it a sacrament. This is what he wants us to do. And he wants us to remember his death till he comes. He's coming for us. He's not humiliated now. And when we see him the next time, he won't be humiliated either. He's glorified forevermore. But he wants us to remember that while on earth, he bore sorrows and griefs of his own that we cannot fully explain. Remember the words, reproach hath broken my heart. I am sorrowful even unto death. I am full of heaviness. You can know that you have a great high priest in heaven that understands any sorrow and grief you ever experience. You have a great example of how you should deal with it just like he did. And what he bore will deliver us from the sorrow and grief of an eternity under the frowning judgment of a holy God. May the Lord bless us as we come to his table.